You guys are going to have your own uh, time while we gather here today. I'm, I'm excited uh, to be worshiping with all of you. Oh, We had a mess, a little, a little bit of a mess on uh, the Stonies, and I still have some of that residue on my table this morning, but that's okay. But I do want to say uh, just a, a happy Sunday to all of you. I'm grateful to ha- uh, be worshiping with you guys today. And uh, I, I did mention it, if you were uh, not here for our Stony Awards on Friday night, we just had an absolute ride. It was a great time, and I'm just thankful for uh, church family that we that we can just grow and love and grace together. And I was talking with somebody this week, and, and we were just talking about just how uh, amazing like the church at large is, that, that really we get to experience God together in community with one another. And, and just what, a, what an amazing thing that is. That, that, that I'm so grateful that God is present in laughter. He's, he's present when we talk, you know, over food or over cake. He's present when we're sitting around a table and just maybe getting to know somebody for the first time or somebody that we've known for uh, an extremely long time. That uh, Jesus said in Matthew 18, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. And, 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 you know, he doesn't say just in the context of worshiping together on, on a Sunday morning or when we're gathering to pray, like whenever. So if it's just to do something just totally fun and, and silly, hey, you know what, he's present with us even in those moments too. And um, if you've been around uh, at all, if you've heard me speak at all over the last number of years, like you, one of the things that, that I've stressed and I've talked about often is just how important it is for us to look around and see where is God present? What is he up to right around us right now? That, that he, you know, he's, he's here. We just have to be able to and willing to look for it, that we don't serve a God who's far off. But uh, the scripture says that he is Jehovah Shammah. He is the, the God who is there. He is, he's not a God who's far off, but he is close by. And so I, I really am thankful for the, the body of Christ that, that we have here that God has put together that we can be in community with one another. So this morning we are going to begin a three-part series that we are calling Mission-Minded. Mission-Minded. And and in this series we're going to be taking a look at who we are as Living Stones Church. And and you'll notice on the the graphic here we put some some coordinates in in the middle of that. 41 degrees, 38 minutes, 36, or excuse me, 38 minutes, 36 seconds north and 86 degrees, 14 minutes and 46 seconds seconds west. Those, those are the exact GPS coordinates of where you are sitting right now this moment. 48 degrees, 38 minutes, 36 seconds north, 86 degrees, 14 minutes, 46 seconds west. And, and, and the first number is, is our, our latitude, our line of latitude. Our second is our line of longitude. And, and as we walk through these next number of weeks, we're going to reference this uh, several times. And, and I pray that you're going to see the the connection here between, you know, uh, of between our coordinates and who we are as, as a church, what God has called us to as a church, and, and just kind of go along with this. Um, everybody on your way out today, you're actually going to receive a bracelet. On one side, it says Livingstone's Church, and on another, the other side, it has these exact coordinates, just something for you to have and to wear, just to, as a reminder of, of just who we are as, as a church. And, and so as we, as we walk through this series, we're going to be taking a look at just our, our mission, our vision of what is it that God has put on our hearts? What is it that God has called, who has God called us to be, and what has God called us to do? Why do we exist as a local church, as, as, a, as you've heard me use the, the, the Greek word, as our ecclesia? And, and back, back when I was in school, 
probably my favorite subject, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, was physics when I was back in school. I loved physics when I was in college. I was a physics minor and just absolutely loved it. Now, chemistry was a totally different story. I, I hated chemistry. Um, I, I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter, Regan. She's not liking chemistry all that much in, in high school either. And I don't know if it was just, if it was me, if it was just my lousy teacher, if it was just like chemistry is just a, a, a lousy subject and discipline altogether. But, but somewhere in, in the middle, so I loved physics, hated chemistry, but somewhere right in the middle was biology. And, and in biology class, we obviously end up learning about DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, and, and you know it's got the the familiar double helix that that we've all seen the the pictures of, you know, of what a DNA strand is. And in that DNA strand, it it contains all of the the genetic information that describes and and who you are, who who each one of us is. That when you when you were conceived. The, the egg had, you know, uh, the, the egg and the sperm each had one half of a set of chromosomes, and when they came together, the DNA comes from half from your mother, half from your father. And, and obviously, this is a very rudimentary explanation, but the idea is that within these, each of these DNA molecules that is inside every single uh, of the billions of cells that are in your body is the encoded blueprint of, for who you are as a person. Who, who is it that, that you are? And, and your DNA reveals characteristics about you, your, your eye color, your hair color, maybe um, some predispositions you may have towards, towards certain uh, diseases, things like that. And, and in, in the same way that, that every individual, not, except for identical twins, identical twins have identical DNA, but, but you have a, a, your DNA is completely different than every other person that has ever walked and lived on this planet. And, and in the same way that each individual has a DNA code that is unique to them, every, every church has its own DNA as well that reveals the, the characteristics of who they are as well. I, I, was, I was doing some looking, and according to the, the latest numbers that I could find, in the United States, there's over 300,000 churches within the United States, Christian churches within the United States. In Indiana, there are 9,061 churches and to the, the best numbers that I could find here in South Bend, that there's a little under 260 churches here in South Bend. And every one of those churches, every, every one of those churches has its own DNA that gives it its own identity of, of who they are, its own mission and vision that God has called them to be. And, and that, that ought to be the case. That, that's good. I, I'm grateful that not every church is identical, that not every church looks the same approaches the, the, the scriptures, approaches the community, approaches the gospel in the same way. Because every church, every church ought to be fulfilling the Great Commission, the, the final thing that Jesus said on this earth before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 19 says, this is Jesus speaking, the final things he says. He says, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They, these were his final instructions that he gave to his followers, that, that we are to go and make disciples. And that's something we're going to talk more about in, in 2023, in this coming year. Um, but the word disciple means, uh, it literally, quite literally means a learner. I want you to go and I want you to make learners. 
invite people into this journey of faith as, as we learn together, as we follow after Jesus together. That, that's what God has called all of us to do. But how we do that is going to look different from church to church. How we go about fulfilling that Great Commission, how, how we go about doing that is going to look very different depending on what church you are in. And that's okay. That, that is a good thing. Now, we, we've probably all, at one time or another, we, we've heard Zig Ziglar's famous quote where he said, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And, 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 so, and so every church has a different aim, something that they're shooting for, something that they're aiming at of how they fulfill the Great Commission. And so to kind of like start this off in, in this series and, and in this message this morning, I want to take a look at, it, at an Old Testament story that I believe kind of serves as a lesson for us as, as it relates to our own story, our own aim, our, our mission and our vision for what, what it is that God has called us to do. Who has God called us to be as Living Stones Church? And, and so I'm, I'm asking you to allow me a, mo a moment just to kind of set the scene for uh, uh, of, of what's going on before I get into the, the text of this story, um, because the, the context is extremely important here. Now, at, at one time, Israel was not ruled by a king, that, that for a long time there, there, was no, there was no king, there was no, uh, that, that, you know, the, the uh, kingdom passed on to, to his son and then to his son, but they were actually governed by, uh, by ruled over and governed by what, the, what were called judges. There was no, like, appointed king. But the people of Israel, they, they started to look around and they started to say, all right, all the other nations around us, they have a king. All the other nations around us, they, they have a king that, that you know, rallies them to a cause and, and leads them into battle. And, and we want to be like all the other nations of, of the earth. And we want a king as well. But, th but that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's design at all. God was their king. He didn't, he didn't want them. He, he said, no, no, you don't need a king, and yet one of the things that God does in, in his sovereignty is there's times where he will give us what we ask for, even if it's not exactly what his perfect plan is. And so eventually Saul was, was anointed as the first king of Israel. And after, you know, there were some ups and downs, and probably more downs than ups in, in Saul's reign, and eventually God's spirit left Saul, and then David was anointed king. And David was the, the greatest of, of all of Israel's kings. He was called a man after God's own heart. And then after David died, his son Solomon became king. And Solomon was the, the last king that ruled over the unified nation of Israel. Because after Solomon died, he had two sons that ended up fighting over the kingdom of who was going to be the, the, the new king. And after less than 120 years, the nation of Israel split. There was the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And 10 of the tribes, there, there were 12 tribes in Israel, 10 of the tribes decided that they were going to side with, with Solomon's son Jeroboam and made him the king of the north. And they retained the name Israel in the north. And there were only two tribes that, that sided with his other son, Rehoboam, who was the, the, the rightful heir of the king. And, and the southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. And, and, and I, know, I know this is a long backstory, but it, but it really is important. And, and if you read through your Old Testament, the, the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles actually kind of give a, a history of what's going on in the nation of Israel, a history of, of, of these kings and the way that they led the, 
the Israelite people. Some of the kings were good, many were not. Many were, were wicked kings. And, and in the middle of, of just this very turbulent history, we come to a pair of, of wicked kings in, in the southern kingdom of Judah. One of them, his, his name was King Manasseh. And King Manasseh, like he, he uh, really was a wicked, like he sacrificed his, one of his own sons to the, the pagan gods of, of the, uh, the nations around them. But one of his, when he died, one of his other sons, whose name was Amon, took the throne of Judah, and he reigned for only two years before he was killed by his own servants. And Amon, he had a son as well who became the new king of Judah, and his name was Josiah, King Josiah. And, and many of us have probably heard, at least heard the name before. And Josiah is who I want to focus on this morning. And, and Josiah's story takes place, you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 22. And I, I want to just kind of uh, share with you a little of the, the backstory of of King Josiah, and they get into the meat of, of how is this applicable to us here today, 2022 South Bend, Indiana. So in, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Josiah, he was only eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. All these, I tell you, these, these Jewish names and Jewish cities sometimes. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And, and I find that an, an extremely interesting phrasing that, that the author of Second Kings uses because his biological father was Amon. He said, no, no, he didn't follow in the paths of, of his biological father, Amon. He followed in the path of the greatest king in all of all of Israel, King David. In verse 3, it goes on, it says, in the 18th year of his reign, so at this point he's 26 years old, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Now, he's, he sends his secretary to go into, the, into what's called Solomon's temple, which is where worship of God was supposed to take place. Well, for many, many years, over 70 years, that was not taking place in the temple. The, the temple, because of his grandfather Manasseh, his father Amon, like the temple had fallen into disrepair. Like it, it, it was not, it was not, you know, being utilized for what its purposes were. It was not being kept up. It was not being taken care of. And in some ways, it reminded me of this. If you can put the picture up on the screen, I, I came across this picture. This, this is City Methodist Church, about 65 miles to the west of us on the toll road in Gary, Indiana. And this church has been abandoned since the 1970s. And, and in some ways, like, I, I think about, like, th this makes me think a little bit, I, it's not exactly, but this makes me, it, this is kind of the visual that comes to mind when I think of what, the, what was going on in God's temple in Jerusalem at, at this moment. And I'm going to skip forward a couple of verses because, again, King Josiah, he sent his secretary to go collect some money from the temple. And again, the temple was in, in bad disrepair. And so in, verses, in verse 8, chapter 22, verse 8, says, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, who was King Josiah's secretary, he said, I found the book of the law 
in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read, it, read from it in the presence of the king. The high priest, the, the, the guy who was supposed to be in charge of, of worship in, in the temple, the, the one who, who was supposed to like, be the one watching out for the spiritual well-being of the people of Judah, had no idea within the temple that the book of the law was there. In, in some ways, it, it would kind of be like you know, us finding a Bible in the church and, man, man what is this thing? Like, I, I, I'm not even familiar with what that is. Hilkiah finds the book of the law in the temple, and it hasn't been used in decades, hasn't been read in, in decades. And, and the book of the law is what we refer to today as, as the Pentateuch. Jews refer to it as, as the Torah, but it's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the first five books. And, and, and so Shapin, the secretary, he, he begins to read the book of the law to King Josiah. And Josiah's reaction when, when the Torah was read to him, he, he tore his clothes. That's what scripture says. He tore his clothes when, when he read it. Like he, he was distraught when, when he heard what was written in, in the Torah, those first five books. And, and this was a custom, tearing your clothes. It was a custom that, that was associated with mourning and grief and loss. And quite honestly, it's, it's still a custom that, that is in practice today, that, that often at, at Jewish funerals, the rabbi, will, it, it's less spontaneous, but the rabbi will actually cut uh, a, a piece of cloth as the bereaved recite words affirming God's sovereignty in this moment. But, but the, the idea of ripping your clothes, it, it was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm torn. I, I'm, I'm, I'm anguished. I, I'm, I, I feel awful. There's loss that's going on here. And I'm going to come to, to why, like, why was that a big deal in a moment? Like, when, when King Josiah, like, he was unaware. He had no idea what was in the book of the law. And so I'm going to come to that in just a moment. But we're going to skip ahead just a, just a hair to chapter 23 of, of what uh, Josiah says he wants, to, he wants to do here. And so in, in verses... 1 through 3 in, in chapter 23, it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. So he, he's gathering everybody together. He says, all right, we're going we're gonna to meet at the temple right now. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar, and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes and decrees with all of his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming, the words of the, uh, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant as well. So for, for decades... Like, they, they had no understanding of, of what was going on, who they were, what it was that God was wanting of them and, and expecting of them. And Josiah, he, he hears this, and, he, and he's, 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 uh, he's, he's overcome, he's overwhelmed by, by grief and, and mourning and anxiety and loss. He says, no, no, no I, I can't just keep this to myself. I want everybody to hear. What is it? 
What is it that God wants from us? And, and I find this such a fascinating passage for so many reasons. But, but one of the things that just totally sticks out to me in this is that the people had forgotten who they were. In, in, in all those years, when, when the book of the law was, was hidden away, tucked away somewhere in the temple, they, they had forgotten about who they were. They're, like They just had no idea. They, were, they had not been reading from it. They, they had lost their, their vision. They had lost their mission of who are we as God's chosen people? What is, what is it that God wants from us? What, what, what are we to do as God's chosen people? Like the, the Torah, the book of the law, those first five books of, of the of our Bible, like it's the story of God's people. It's the story of, of God's people about how God created a covenant with, with Adam and then with Moses and then with Abraham. And, the, and along the way, they'd just forgotten. They, they had forgotten who they were. So, some of it was because there were wicked kings that had led them astray. But some of it is what, like in, in modern times and modern leadership circles is, is what's called vision leak. I don't know if anybody's heard that, that term before, but vision leak. And, and vision leak is this idea that if we don't remind ourselves often about who we are, about what we're about, about what we're doing, it's gradually going to leak over time. Like, think in some ways of, of like if you've ever had a slow leak in one of your tires of your car. Not, not like, all right, you ran over a nail and, and it's just sitting there flat, but, but you filled it up and then over the course of maybe two or three weeks, all right, then your, your air pressure light comes on again. You've got to fill it up again. Like there's this slow leak over, over time. And that's what happens with, with people. It's what happens with organizations over time, that if we aren't regularly reminding ourselves of who we are and why we exist and where are we going, it will eventually leak over time. And that's what happened with the Israel people, the people of Judah, that they, over a period of time, they kind of forgot. Who is it that we are called to be? And, and as, a revision, as a result of Vision Leak, it's easy to lose the why behind why are we here? Who are we? Why are we gathered in, in the first place? And, and so allow me, just give me, I'll give you an example from, from the corporate world of, of how this has taken place. In, in 1985, Steve Jobs was fired from Apple, the company that he founded. And, he, and, and over the next decade, like, Apple got itself in some serious financial trouble. Like, they, they were literally staring down the barrel of bankruptcy. And so in 1996, Steve Jobs was hired back, and he immediately started to make some changes. And one of the most impactful ones is he, he drastically cut the lineup of Apple products that they were offering. Like, at the time, Apple had 15 different desktop models that you could choose from. This is in 1996. Fifteen different desktop models. He scaled it down to just one single model, the iMac. He cut back on all the portable and handheld products. Like they, they had a, a wide array of just portable handheld products. He took it down to just one laptop. At, at the time, Apple, the Apple was making printers. They were making like different computer peripherals and accessories, and he eliminated those altogether because they had, they had this massively bloated offering of all these different choices and models and things that they were, they were offering to the public. And in the years that he had been absent, vision had leaked. All right, we, we got off, off course in a way. They forgot who they were. They got off mission. And they got involved in all sorts of different projects and products and, 
and distributors and retail spaces that was just not who Apple was. Similar things have happened in, in the automobile industry. Like there, there are different automobile companies. GM was one of them that did this just a, a, probably about a decade ago where they looked and they said, all right, we are offering way too many models. We, we've lost where we are. We've lost our vision. We've gotten off mission. All right, we need to scale it back. We need to focus in on who it is that we are called to be. What are we called to do? And this, this is what happened to the people of Judah. Vision leaked over time. That they forgot who they were. They forgot what it meant to be God's chosen people. They forgot about what they were all about, what God had called them to do, and who, who they were as God's chosen people. And as a result, they strayed. They, they massively strayed from where they were. And so Josiah, he had the book of the law. He had it read in front of all the people, in front of all of his officials and the priests and the prophets and, and, and the officials and everybody there. And he's retelling the story. He's reminding them the vision of this is who we are. This is where we came from. This is who God has called us to be. This, this is what it means to be a part of God's amazing covenant that he has made. It, it's, it's one of the things that's so amazing about if you do any kind of searching or, or research into like the Jewish holidays and celebrations and traditions. They, they, they're constantly reminding themselves of who they are. Constantly reminding themselves of, all right, this is who we are. This is what God has done for us. And, and so a series on mission and vision, it's vital and it's important to us. It, like it, it's something that we need to make sure that we come back to, that we revisit, that we talk about, that we remind ourselves of who, who are we? Who has God called us to be? What is it that God has called us to do? And so whether you've been here for 50 plus years, like like. Chuck and Diane Barrington, or, or maybe you're here for the very first Sunday today. Like, we need to remind ourselves of where we came from and also where we're headed. Because otherwise, if we don't remind ourselves of that, we can get off course. We can get off base. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelite people. And so just kind of looking back, just taking just a, a, a few moments here just to kind of look back as, as to where... We were. Some, some, many of you have, have heard the story before. Maybe some of you have never heard this story before. But as you, like if, if you look at our building, if you can, you can put the picture up on the screen, like our church building's been here for a bit. Like it's, it's not this brand new fancy building. Like we, we've been here for a while. This church started in 1954 as Don Moyer Avenue Church of Christ. And if you show the, the inside picture, like this is, this is what this room looked like. Like you can see, it, it was an old church. There, were, there was pews, stained glass. Like there was no stage up front at all, no, no instruments because Don Moore Avenue Church of Christ was an a cappella church. Didn't have instruments. There were no guitars or keyboard or piano. I certainly no drums. And the worship was sung like hymns only. Now obviously I was not here for this part of the story of, of Living Stones Church, but from conversations I've had, stories I've been told from people that, that were here during this time, our church was, was a, an exceptionally inward-focused church, a very legalistic church, doing church for church people, for church people who love to worship without instruments. Like, like an, 
and people were comfortable. Like, all right, we like this. This is how we like doing church. We like not having instruments. We, we, you know, we like doing church for church people, doing it the way that we've always done it with people that look like us and think like us and act like us and believe like we do. And that's how Don Moore Avenue Church of Christ operated for 50 years, was that, was that same model, that same idea. And, and in the middle of all this, and I'm not disparaging at all, in the middle of this, great things were happening. Great things happened even in the middle of that, that, that people heard about Jesus, they were encouraged in their faith. They were baptized, faith was passed on to future generations. Like God was still active, he was very present in that as well. And then in 2006, God began a, a radical transformation of, of who this church is. That the church at the time, they were considering selling this building, moving to a, a, a different location, easier access for those that were driving from all over the Michiana area that wanted to come to an acapella church. And, and I'll tell you, like, if, if, if you want to grow a church, there, there is almost like a, a formula for it. Like, you, 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 you move out to the suburbs, you kind of, you know, like, you, you put yourself in a location on a major thoroughfare, and, and, and so the, these were part of the conversations. Then in the middle of these conversations, the pastor at the time, his name was Sam, he went on a prayer retreat, and, and during time of, of just of prayer and reflection, God really just kind of challenged Sam's heart on something. Uh, this idea of what makes you think you would be a better steward somewhere else than you are where you are presently? What makes you think you would be a better steward somewhere else in a better location in a newer building than where you are right now? And as the leadership team talked and as they prayed over this, there was complete consensus that, no, 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 like this church was meant to be right here at these exact coordinates right here. And thus began this transformation that instead of being an inwardly focused church that met to, that, that, that they gathered together to meet the needs of those who were comfortable and already here. No, we're going to become a church that's an externally focused church, that, that we're here to meet the needs of those who are not here yet. We don't want to be a church just for the comfortable, for those who are already here and doing things always the way that we like them. No, no, we're going to be an externally focused church. And our focus is how do we meet the needs of those who are not here yet? I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather, don't, don't do anything, just, don't do things because you like it for your own vain conceit or selfish ambition, but rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, not looking for the way I like things to be done, the way I want it, but each of you to the interest of others. Like I, and I love that. that. That was like a key component of, of this transformation that took place. We're not going to do necessarily what's in our best interest. We're going to do what's in the best interest of those who aren't here yet, right where God has called us to be. And, and this journey be, began of wrestling with what does it look like to be an externally focused church in the middle of a residential area like this? And, and I, I would love to, to tell you that everybody like saw the vision, they were captured by it, they were on board and said, yes, we are totally there with you. Because that wasn't the case, though. Pews were removed, you can show that 
that picture, some pews were taken out, putting chairs in instead, be, began incorporating instruments. You, if you put that screen up there, and, and, and instrumental worship as well. And in the middle of this transformation, an exodus took place. People scattered, people fled. There, there, were, there were people that said, no, no, I like church the way I like church. And that's what I want to see here. And this idea of opening up our, our church and being an externally focused church, that didn't jive with everybody. And so people, people scattered. But those who stayed were committed. Those who stayed bought into the vision of saying, no, this is who we are. And, and that's how God transformed Don Murray Avenue Church of Christ into Livingstone's church. And, and we still carry that DNA with us to this day. And over the last 16 years, we've still been wrestling with what does it look like to be a church, a neighborhood church that's relevant to the people that are right here in our neighborhood? What does it look like to be a church that is for our community, that welcomes anybody and everyone that steps into our doors? What, what, what does it mean to be that kind of church, to be that kind of people? And and these are some of the things that just made our, our family fall in love with this church. Like, I love the fact that we are right in the middle of a residential area. I love that, that we are surrounded by homes. We're surrounded by people. We're not off in a cornfield somewhere else, right off the interstate. No, we are right smack dab in the middle of what God wants us to do. I, I love the fact that we are a church that celebrates diversity. Diversity of thought opinion, race, culture, background. Like, we, we're not looking for conformity, but we celebrate diversity right here within our body. I love the fact that we are an other's first church, that what Paul talked about in Philippians 2, that we're trying to live that out, not looking to, to what we want, and, and all right, th this is how I want church to be. But no, what, what does it mean for, for us to be a church that actually cares about the people that are out there, not just the people that are already in here? I love the fact that we're a church where you don't have to get it all together or have it all together. And we can admit that. We can be real about it. That we're a safe place for people to wrestle with what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the 21st century? What, is it, what, what, is, what does that mean? And, and that we can ask those questions and we can struggle with and we can wrestle with what does that look like? I love that we are a church that, that as we journey with God and, and as imperfectly as, as, we, as we live it out, as, as imperfectly as it looks, that we're inviting other people into that journey with us. That other people aren't our project that we're trying to fix. We're saying, hey, walk with us. As we're journeying towards Jesus, just walk with us. I love that we're a church that sees God is already at work all around us not just within the walls of this building. That we're a church that values people, that values community. I, and, and I could go on and on. I, I, like, I, I love this church. I, I, I trust that you being here this morning and sitting here and worshiping together, that you do as well. And, and many, if not most of you, have, have heard that story before. But it's important for us to remember who we were and who it is that God has called us to be. That we, that we never forget that. that. That was what was so vital and so important about Josiah reading that story. Hey, this is what it means to be God's people. This is what it means to be God's chosen people. This, this is how we ought to be, how we ought to live, what it is that God wants for us. 
how we got here, what God has been doing, and where does he want us to go next. And so next Sunday, we're going to dive more into the specifics of, of who we are and why we are here. Like our, our LSC leadership team, our, our elders, our staff, myself, like we, we've, been, we've been praying, we've been listening, we've been discussing just about our, our mission and our vision. In light of our past, the journey that God has had us on, like who are we as a church today? Who does God want us to be today? Not five years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago, but today, who does God want us to be? What is our mission? What, what is our vision for how we carry that out and, and accomplish it? And some of it, as, as we talk about it, as we share it with you, some of it's going to be very familiar. There's a part of that DNA that has not changed whatsoever. Some of it's different. But I say all that to say, like, I'm excited about what God is up to. Like, I'm excited about who God has called us to be. I'm excited that God is here, he's alive, he's active, and that we get to play a part in the story that God is writing right here in South Bend. Like, we, we, we get to partner, we get to be a part of what God is doing. Like, think, think about how amazing that is. None of us are here by accident. We're not here by mistake. But God has said, I want you here because I got something for this church to do. I, I, that, that this church, we, as we reflect Jesus to this community, to this neighborhood, to those around us, at our workplaces, all those things, that as, as we think on that, at like just what, what, what a, an incredible gift of trust that is that God has given to us. And, I, and I'm excited to, to talk about that and unpack that with us, with you more in the weeks ahead. And as I said, as you leave today, you're going to get one of these bracelets that has our exact coordinates for where we are. 41 degrees, 38 minutes, 36 seconds north. 86 degrees, 14 minutes, 46 seconds west. Pinpoint accuracy. Focus of where it is that we've been called to this community, to this neighborhood, to these people. And I'm really excited to walk this journey with you as we do it together. That is super exciting to me. And so I, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask just you to bow your heads with us. So Lord, we just thank you, God, so much for who you are. God, we thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing love. God, that you would use flawed, broken people like us to, to carry your story forward. Lord, that, that as we look backward and we can see your hand, God, just upon this church about what you've been up to and what you've been doing God, we're excited to see what you have in store for us, Lord, that as we talk about our mission, as we talk about our vision, as we talk about, God, who it is that we are and what we've called, been called to do, God, that there would just be a, a sense of unity amongst us, that, that you would just unite our hearts and our minds together around the, this, this idea of what it is that you've called us to be. And, and in the same way that as Josiah had the book of the law read in, 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 in front of all the people, the priests and the prophets, he said, from the greatest to the least. And as they heard that story, as they heard the story of who they were as God's chosen people, that they renewed that covenant with you, said, no, we are on board. We're committed. We're a part. 
I pray that we would have that same response, that as we talk about who we are, our past and our story, and we talk about what it is that God has called us to, to do and who he's called us to be, God, that that same commitment, that, that, that we renew that commitment, say, no, like, we're, we're in totally to God what it is that you want to do here at Livingstone's Church. 41 degrees, 38 minutes, 36 seconds north. And 86 degrees, 14 minutes, 46 seconds west. God, we love you. And we are so incredibly grateful. God, that you looked at us. Flawed, broken people like us. He said, I want you. I want you on my team. Because you have a part to play in this story that I'm writing. This story, this amazing story of transformation and redemption that is taking place across the globe right now. And we have a part to play right here in our corner of the world. Lord, we thank you, God, for calling us and asking us to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.